I want to ask, when was the first time you saw something sexual in a video game? Are visions of Night Trap popping up, or were you more of a, a hot coffee youth? Maybe Mass Effect still takes the cake for letting you sleep with Garrus. While the broader industry might scoff at sexual content while in the same breath it gives us plenty of violence, it's important to highlight just how far sexual content in games has come. And no, we're not just talking about more pixels in a character's body, we're talking about the way the industry treats the LGBTQ community and having an increasingly diverse array of sexual content to pick from. On this week's episode, I'm joined by my good friend and colleague Anna Valens. She's a reporter specializing in online queer communities, marginalized identities, and adult content creation. She's Daily Dot's trans and sex columnist, and you've seen her work on Waypoint, Truthout, Bitch Media, Kill Screen, and plenty more. I've wanted to have this conversation with Anna for some time. First, to just get an idea for what drove her to dive into online queer communities and what she's found to be the most interesting intersections between those communities and how we play out the act of sex in video games. Maybe you've seen these peculiar stories about the queer community reclaiming Luigi as a transgender icon after finding some mysterious text in an old game manual. Or maybe you're wondering why huge studios like Ubisoft and others still struggle to take queer player interests seriously. Maybe you're just wondering how an alien porn game made two million on Kickstarter, especially considering the studio is known for some heinous CG videos on Pornhub. Don't lie, we all know you've watched them. But most importantly, what does all that say about the way companies and cultures view sex or the many shades of sexuality and gender their audience almost certainly contains? At the end of the day, Anna wants journalists and gamers to take sex and this identity uh, more seriously. Whether that's in a VR game called Dominatrix Simulator or a simple twine game about trans people, if you can't tell, I was really fascinated by this conversation, and I think you will be too. Alright, remember to share the show on social media, and please give us a rating and review on iTunes so we can climb those charts. It really helps us out. Without further ado, here's the show. doing here on this fine what is it got it's like a thursday morning uh bright and early uh for both of us i think uh how's oh it out gosh. there in sunny new york oh my god i wish you could say it was sunny i uh, asked my alexa like oh what's it gonna be today and she was like it's gonna be thunderstorms and sunny skies i'm like i don't think those two work together Anna, <laughs> alexa no those that that's not how this works thank you <laughs> Unless you, maybe you, you need some time. You need yeah. some time to get the AI to start working and figuring out how uh, the weather works. <laughs> so I've been really fascinated by your work. I think we've known each other for about a year, maybe now, uh, yeah. maybe a little more. Uh, yeah. And I remember I remember like just seeing your work on, I, I guess, Daily Dot first, um, where you work as a trans and sex uh, columnist. And uh, then out of the blue, you kind of appear in the Slack channel for GameDaily.biz. And I'm like, yo, 
<laughs> what is what is this world like am i actually this close to like people i admire that like i can pester them in slack like not just Aww. one slack channel but two uh so th thank you for coming on the show i've i like i said i've wanted to have this conversation for a while because I'm, I'm just fascinated by the work uh, uh focusing on on transgender and sexuality issues uh, through the lens of like gaming and geek culture and uh i guess the obvious question we should start off with is uh, you you especially you are one of the like most consistent people on that topic i've seen um what made you want to dive so far into that world as a as a writer it's a good question first off i really appreciate that that always like warms my heart when someone tells me that my work is like means a lot to them yeah like, of course <laughs> it means a lot um but for me you know i started diving into these topics because um I realized that I could and no one else was. I remember uh, a few years ago, I read this book that came out. It was an anthology collection called The State of Play. I think this was around 2015. And uh, there were some essays in there. They're kind of like, eh, okay, like eye roll, like whatever. But mm -hmm. there are also essays there that were really, they're fascinating. And they really pushed the envelope of how we can think about games. And I remember the there were two essays that really stuck out to me. There was one that Kara Ellison did with Brendan Keogh that was about like uh, like violence in video games. And it's like a conversation between the two. And that was fascinating. But what really got my interest peaked was um, there was this uh, essay that was an adaptation of a presentation that Merritt Kay did called Ludus Interruptus. And the whole premise of her essay, which is very well written, it's like probably one of the best in the collection, is about like basically the way games handle sexuality is utter bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, the examples she used were like Mass Effect is like you're basically putting in like uh, friendship tokens. Games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like you keep on putting it in until you like get finally laid. Um, and then God of War is like, oh, mash the button enough times to orgasm, which yeah. is like. <laughs> I, I don't know um, about your listeners, but I really hope that's not how you think about sex because you should probably stop and take a minute if, if that's how you think about sex. <laughs> <laughs> but reading that made me realize like this was stuff I was already interested in and I was interested about how gender and sex and all those things weave together. Why, if this person was doing it, why couldn't I do that too? And that was a moment for me when I really sat down and started to seriously think about thinking about games more as an art form where gender and sex and all these other issues of identity collide together. And that brought me into the more investigative style reporting I'll do today where I'll write about things like sexual harassment in games or even just like the relationship like esports has with women. Yeah, and... Researching for this interview, I, I had a, a smorgasbord of of topics that I could have like jumped into with you, uh, which just is an, a, a testament to the variety of of perspectives you've been able to either find or provide yourself. And uh, <laughs> one of perhaps one of the most fascinating pieces I've I, one or two I think that you've written about is how uh, video game characters. Uh, we had a few examples where like it, it was like link from legend of zelda or luigi from you know super mario franchise uh mm -hmm. 
communities online in for lack of a better term like begin to like reclaim them as like i uh, transgender icons of a sort mm-hmm. um the the best example that i i saw you writing about was uh there's a like instruction text somewhere buried in some old like manual that says like oh a super crown item will turn a toad into a toadette and then like very deliberately uh there's text alongside that that says sorry luigi it won't work on you like they're specifically calling out luigi uh for this (laughs) thing and that gave as i understood it that gave people uh, uh this idea that luigi uh, was secretly this like transgender icon of the game space, and uh, yeah. well, one, one, how do you how did you find that in the first place? And two, what does that say about like the communities who we we do see, especially like with Overwatch fandoms and and uh, a million other like you know popular fandoms, uh, players and community members uh, really are are passionate about kind of repainting or just interpreting uh characters to to be more like themselves Mm. yeah you know i I think it's uh it's complicated because uh there is a level as a writer um in order for me to kind of dig up those things you really do have to be immersed within the culture of those different fandoms and for me uh that's a very fancy way of saying i'm on twitter a lot yeah (laughs) I'm doing that's what I that's why I tell the daily dot crew I'm doing research thank you <laughs> I'm shit posting on the internet uh, you can expense yeah. this for twenty dollars an hour <laughs> um, but you know in all seriousness you do have to kind of you have to know how to feel the temperature in the room and I think one of the ways to do that is you have to be someone that's connected to that identity or that issue you want to talk about um, so example with like Luigi is transgender and also Link is transgender, which are two topics that I, I pulled apart. Um, you know, what happened uh, in those cases is uh, there are certain symbols that are being read within those communities that maybe are not intended by the authors. But we live in a world that understands like, OK, you don't necessarily need the author to tell you what to think about a game or a story or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, if you tap into a fandom and look for symbols and images within a fandom that suggests you can interpret a character this way, um, and in this case, queer symbols, queer images, queer tropes, you can take that and you can recast a character in that mold. There's a really good book I read uh, in my undergrad because I, I minored in poli-sci, and this is where I got the original idea from. Um, the whole entire premise of this book was how democracy came to certain parts of like uh, like small cities in Russia that traditionally had very strong ties to the communist government. And the idea they had was that, well, if you there's basically all these free-floating symbols within Russia, and you can cast different symbols to mean different things based on what people want them to mean, mm-hmm. and then you see if the community around it agrees with those symbols. And that example is like Novograd, and it was like... Um, it was like symbols of like democracy and freedom and like collective organizing in, uh, you know, kind of not necessarily on such a high level, but in the <laughs> games world, you know, it's Luigi, it's like Luigi's wearing a dress or Luigi like wants to maybe be a girl. Like, and those things, you know, if they resonate, you suddenly get a whole entire community on Twitter sitting down and saying, wow, Luigi's transgender, which true or not, it's resonating. That means something. Mm-hmm. It's very Hideo Kojima, uh, a meme sort of taking <laughs> on its uh, on its own life, right? Um, yeah. And, and I do remember. I, I do remember, like when the Luigi kind of story began popping up. 
uh, and your piece did. And seeing, I saw someone like draw a fan art of um, uh, Princess Daisy kind of comforting Luigi and basically saying like, you don't need, you know, Luigi, you don't need a, uh, uh, I forget, like a dress to be to be a girl or yeah. she, might, she might have been talking about uh genitals to be a girl i can't remember i think it was the crown it might have just just like the you don't crown, need a crown, to be a girl. crown yeah. yeah uh yeah. and and how that must have that must have been like such a uh a small but meaningful kind of beacon of like hey here's this like character that i that I, if i were a part of the lgbt community uh might have been like a beacon of saying you know i, I i've always had uh, uh, people like myself by my side, I I imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's something about that that it, it, like lets people feel not just seen, but also if you don't really know people within necessarily your local community and you don't really have a feeling of, I have like a, I have a sense of belonging, then you can kind of, you know, what's the best, next best thing, which is turning to media, which is turning to culture. And, uh, you know, in that case, it can be, well, inserting yourself into a story that you want to be in. That's why we have that happen with, for instance, Samus and Metroid. You know, people want to see themselves as like this, like, like buff, strong, like androgynous action hero Mm -hmm. that's like represents the best of both masculinity and femininity combined together in this beautiful woman that's like tall and like also like, you know, is kind of not, you know, like a traditional hard femme, so to speak. Um, And yeah, I think it lets us kind of see parts of ourselves that we want to be seen, even if the rest of society tells us not necessarily. What do you think, like, on a case-by-case basis, certainly there is there is plenty of examples, like, yes, yeah, Samus being this this androgynous figure, uh, and, but what do you think broadly it is about game characters that uh, they, so often, we they allow us to see them as uh, different genders or other kinds of identities uh, so easily? Is it just the fact that, like, so many classic game characters themselves are, are uh, templates more than, like, strictly defined uh, uh, backgrounds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I definitely think that's part of it. And it's the fact that like you embody that character when you play a game, right? Like when you read, uh, like, uh, I don't know, like a um, Haruki Murakami novel, you don't literally become the protagonist. No. <laughs> but, you know, like, if you do, that's really interesting. Please get in touch with yes. me because I would love to write about that. But um uh, you know, like when you play, you know, whether it's a dating sim, whether it's an RPG, you know, doubly so actually for things like RPGs and uh, games where you literally are role playing a character and making narrative decisions that affect the plot. Um, you're literally taking on a role of a character. And that means to a certain extent, you're identifying with that character. And also you are putting parts of yourself within that character. So I think Samus is a good example because, uh, you know, you're kind of filling in the blanks of who Samus is with how you play the game and with the relationship that you build with Samus as you play the game. And then people take that and they build lives of those characters from those symbols. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily like Nintendo sat down and thought like, we're going to create this character and make her exactly like a 23 year old, like queer lady in uh, like Milwaukee and like have it be perfect for her. Like that's not what's happening, but you put yourself in the game and you're automatically going to create a relationship with that character. And I think that really resonates with people because it does feel like their actions in the game are meaningful to the character that they're playing as and meaningful to building an idea of what that character is. So I think naturally it leads us to like want to flesh that out more. Like, oh, what's it like for Samus after Metroid? Like, does she go on dates with girls? Does like she go out drinking and like hook up with a bunch of women? Does she buy? Like, what's going on? And I think 
it's that embodiment that really brings it. And, you know, that's an interesting point to raise, too, because fandom has played such a a strong, uh, for better or worse, role in how we interpret games and characters in games and our and our favorite mm-hmm. uh, story elements in all of our you know favorite classic games. Um, of course, the the worst examples of fandom is you know toxicity uh, and and mm-hmm. hate campaigns like Gamergate. Uh, but then there, of course, there, there are more positive aspects like, you know, these, these people being able to like reinterpret characters, um, to, to mean something bigger and better to themselves. What do you think about the relationship between fandom and, uh, video games and how it kind of translates into, uh, either trans or sex issues in the broader gaming space? Yeah, it's tough because community is a double-edged sword. You know, you're always going to have people that, um, it, it's like any community uh, at the end of the day, when you think about fandom that way, uh, there are good people in it, there are bad people in it, there are people that bring baggage from outside of the community into the community, you know, and sometimes that means uh, a certain level of entitlement or a certain desire for influence or power or control. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see this a lot in games because the stakes are very low, but also there is a lot of ability for influence. And what I mean by that is basically like, you know, we're not talking about like national politics and games. We're talking about these funny little things that we play like after work for a couple hours and then go to bed. (laughs) But, you know, or at least maybe more than a couple hours, depending on the kind of person you are. But um, no judgment here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i will admit i got a vr headset recently with daily dot nice. and um let's just say the oh God, it's so nice uh no no i um i decided to go affordable didn't want to stretch their budget uh. too thin <laughs> i got um a windows mixed reality nice. and uh that is actually very specifically for uh vr porn coverage yeah which is oh so fun <laughs> uh we should definitely talk i definitely about do that. i definitely do yes <laughs> um but uh you know going back to fandom like um you know like games do on a certain level it's a little bit of a low stakes field it's entertainment it's not necessarily politics so it's easy for people to kind of be interested in games and want to and gradually you know turn a hobby into a career and see opportunities for really quick career advancement you know someone like myself who you know i consider myself pretty ambitious i would say built a pretty strong established career within just a year or two and you're uh you're like, you're 23 i think right close i'm flattered uh, <laughs> 25 25 okay i knew i knew you were <laughs> i knew you were at least a little younger than me i'm 26 and uh i've got at least a few more months of being uh 26 here uh but i you're oh, you're, you're definitely you. one of those folks i look at i'm just like how dare they be so good at such a young age <laughs> No, you're technically my elder. It should be the vice versa, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's actually so funny, side note, um, because just, uh, like, I was actually a little surprised, like, that you're like, oh, like, you look up to my work. Because, like, I always felt the, like, vice versa. I was like, oh, like, Joe does, like, such, like, very, like, like hard news and was, like, really driven that way. And, like, I think that's awesome and really cool. And, like, that's a world that's so hard for me to, um, like, uh, uh like just kind of absorb myself in because I'm so used to kind of more of the like like kind of flashy popping drama world of games and I was just like wow it's like so flattering <laughs> this is this is exactly this is secretly what I built the 1099 for uh, uh easy flattery from my guests <laughs> I love that I'm gonna steal that idea <laughs> please uh, yes. I hope you don't that, mind. that's why anyone should make a podcast just to feel a little bit better about themselves <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take that to my therapist later. Please do. 
to be like, I'm thinking about making a podcast. She's going to be like, oh my God, not another one. <laughs> Please, she takes out the antidepressants. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, as you were saying, um, uh, Please, like, yeah. Please continue on, like, your last thought there. I, 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 I didn't mean to interrupt there. Oh no, it's fine. Yeah. So in fandom, you know, I think because uh, it's very easy to advance really quickly, and it's very easy, you know, if you're driven, if you're passionate. Uh, uh, it doesn't take, so to speak, in gamer terminology, as much of a grind mm-hmm. to like get up there with your career. And so I think uh, that happens in fandom too. And you get parts of fandom that can be very toxic and entitled and feel this want and sense of control and wanting to influence the way the fandom thinks. And then you get parts of the fandom that are a little bit more like, I'll throw out an idea and I'm just here to make friends and I'm just here to kind of share the same space and learn and grow with each other. And I think you do, you know, it's more complicated than that. But I think that's one of the biggest tensions fandom communities have is that you get good people, you get bad people, and you get these groups kind of butting heads with each other uh constantly whether it's about issues of say like whether women belong in fandom spaces and controlling the image of what fandom should be or whether it's something a little bit more like say uh i don't know just discoursing about like ships and what are ships and how should we handle discussions around sexuality and relationships uh you know is it okay to like ship x character y that was a big conversation a month or two ago around devil may cry um, because uh, I think this one artist for Snot Girl liked a picture of um, two of the characters in Devil May Cry, their brothers, mm-hmm. like kissing. And it was like this huge conversation. Like, is this okay? Like, is this not okay? And like, yeah. And, you, you know, I, I, I'm clued in enough to the Overwatch community. Um, I follow a couple of like zine people who this is like half of what they talk about is like shipping wars. Uh, and, yeah. and how and how like. <laughs> identity and fandom kind of just smash into each other because before before overwatch uh and their creative team uh you know kind of solidified the fact that uh soldier 76 is i think gay i don't think they said bye but um yeah he's gay yeah and uh, before like you know something is solidified in in stone like that uh you have shipping wars uh where people are like mm-hmm. no uh reyes slash uh reaper and mccree is like the one true pairing no it's soldier and reyes <laughs> and like ha- have you dived into that too like what what have you thought about kind of the way those wars have been waged oh my god i honestly i i think it's it's um this is why i love this kind of coverage i think on some level it's so like it's it so does not matter yeah (laughs) (laughs) like when i play overwatch i don't think like oh is reaper like killing mccree and is that problematic like i just thinking like i want to kill mccree because he's an asshole and i'm playing a video game (laughs) like you know what i mean so um you know for me i think it's really on one level i think there's kind of like a like a dark humor there's kind of like a cosmic humor in everything because there's really really high stakes about something that really is low stakes it does not matter but i also think at the same time um you know i think that way it's why i like this coverage because i think it's kind of funny but i also think that uh there is something really important about it you know if the for instance one conversation that happened a lot was like whether mccree and um reaper should be shipped because i think there's like some kind of technicality about how their ages overlapped in the overwatch world i forget exactly and people thought like oh like if you would if you accept this ship then you have to accept the prior canon that's happening in this yeah. series therefore you have to accept that like 
one of them was a little too old for the other at a certain time in their lives. Like it was this really specific minutia that, uh, you know, is fascinating for so many reasons. Cause on the one hand, it like really goes to show like fandom acts as if these characters are real mm-hmm. and it acts as if the context around their creation is absolutely necessary the same way that it is when like we're figuring out situations of like relationships in real life. And, and like, it's, it's, it's almost yeah. like, it's almost like someone who, enjoys reading lolita for like the wrong reasons you know uh but yeah like yeah and and it, my my overwatch nerd is about to come out but yeah mccree was like only like 18 or 20 or something like that when he like when he really joined up with uh overwatch and and reyes was certainly not that young um uh, <laughs> so yeah no and and it does seem like yeah if you're a part of that fandom like if you're a part of any other kind of community uh, th- there's explicit and uh, not so explicit endorsements that come along with like whatever parts of like, what is your community doing and saying? And like, you know, how, how uh, are you, are you going along with it? Or are you kind of like taking a different uh, side of the debate? Um, that That's mm. awesome. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting because, you know, for me personally, I feel like, like, I just can't see anything wrong with that ship. And I'm someone that does believe that you should not like, I'm okay with aged up characters, which is like when you take like a 16 or 17 year old character and like you purposely draw art where they're 18 or above, I think that's fine. But, you know, like it's a gray area, but ultimately I think that's fine. But like when you, and, but when you kind of go lower than that, like you're literally sexualizing teenage or even children in your art, I think that's, that's like a no go. Like that's, that's not okay. But, um, you know, I think also like, I, I think on the polar opposite side of that issue is you do have this weird situation where the canon really does establish like, yeah, it's a little weird, but like you could ship McCree as an 18 year old with someone who's much older than him. And like in real life would be a problem, but we're dealing with fantasy Mm -hmm. here. Like on some level, you know, these fantasies aren't literally saying, go do this. It's okay. It's about like, okay, what does it mean to be with an older person? What does it say about the person enjoying it? Because a lot of times age, for instance, age play isn't really about age play. It's about something else. It's about wanting to be nurtured. It's about wanting someone older, more experienced than you to take care of you. Or maybe it's the vice versa. Maybe you want someone that is younger that you can feel kind of like a doting person because maybe you didn't have that in your life or maybe it's just your brain's wired a certain way to make you like it. And I think that relationship's so fascinating and all the feelings around it because i think it always says more about the people looking at the ship as opposed to the ship itself and you know it's it's funny you mentioned earlier that um these kinds of conflicts or or debates uh just even though they're valid they they like just don't matter that much because like we're we're talking we're talking (laughs) about like artistic interpretation and and like you know fantasy universes that like no one's actually getting hurt yeah um you wrote these really good pieces. Uh, the the biggest one I kind of want to point out is like, when will gaming take its uh, uh, queer players seriously? And yeah. um, pointing out a lot of the ways, like the story kind of jumps off from a, an incident that originated with the like the the EDM DJ uh, Dead Mouse, and mm. um, pointing out a lot of the like structural ways that. Uh, LGBT communities are like either erased or attacked. Um, uh, I have to pull it back up here again to actually refresh my memory, but it was, it was essentially, yeah. it was essentially the LGBT community kind of trying to like convince everybody that like, Hey, it matters that, uh, you know, he, he says uh, derogatory things. Can you run me through that story and how that kind of came about and what it says about uh, the industry's um, j- treatments of its marginalized players? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, oh my gosh. It's actually everything around Dead Mouse is so funny because I originally got into a Twitter fight with him over uh, just something really fucking stupid he said about trans women. You know, I, I don't think he realized it, but he was basically like, he was saying, like, yeah, like women don't have penises. What world are you on? Which is like, okay, well, you know, like maybe 20, 30 years ago, that would have been excusable, but like it's 2019. Like you've seen the, the Vanity Fair photo shoot of caitlin jenner yeah. I'm guessing he knows what orange is the new black is so he should probably like be a little bit aware of what he fucking says on the internet and um you know the whole entire point i was trying to make of that article is like it, it's you know dead mouse said something stupid and he doubles down that's his thing like he, he he's not he's a stubborn man but gaming doesn't seem to understand that what he said was wrong and that it affects people in the gaming community. And for me, that's what really bothers me the most is that people are quick. I think the instance I talked about there was with Slasher. Um, and Slasher is a very, he's very smart. I like a lot of his analysis and- um, uh, Rod Slasher Breslau um, uh, in esports consultant, yeah. Correct, yeah. And Rod's great. You know, I like Slasher. Uh, I like a lot of his analysis. And he does speak up a lot and say things that, uh, you know, to kind of say like, yeah, like, um, you know, calling things out. He does do that a, a lot of times, but he doesn't always. And I think he is a good microcosm of what gaming's problem is, which is a lot of men that are really influential or really powerful or just in positions of, of influence that don't really understand those of us that are kind of not from the same level of privilege, how it makes us feel to be in gaming. And uh, the reason why Deadmau5's comments upset me so much is because that's the sort of shit like that happens everywhere in gaming. Like, well, so let, like let let's let's highlight. Uh, you know, we we won't necessarily repeat the derogatory <laughs> term, but he 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 called another person uh, a very uh, anti uh, LGBT uh, derogatory term and did not seem to recognize like when he when he was getting called out for it did not seem to recognize like hey man that's you really shouldn't use that word because that implies that there is something wrong with being uh this kind of person yeah so yeah um it's complicated because i think uh i think the word and the language that dead mouse used is a really good example of the problems that we have i have been in so many games over the years and it's got a little better but really not that much I've played so many games, especially shooters, because I've always been a shooter kind of girl, um, where people will just throw around all sorts of slurs or say really shitty things about gay people. You know, um, gay slurs, homophobic slurs are still used mm -hmm. all the time uh, in games, and it's used secondhand. And it's not as bad as it used to be like 10 years ago when everyone was like, oh, that's so gay. I can't believe how gay that is. Like, it's not really used like that anymore. But at the same time, people still have ingrained in them that there's something wrong with being gay and that's why you know the the word that dead mouse used was the the f slur and in that case uh that's why he used it uh i i think he's tapping into that idea and i don't think gaming realizes that like it's not really about like maybe joel has some friends that are um uh that are gay or trans or whatever but he's still insisting that to be gay or to be trans mm -hmm. there's something wrong with that and I feel like gaming is not waking up to that issue. And it needs to because, you know, it, it's just... And you had, you had another piece that pointed out kind of another, uh, I guess, the yeah structural kind of issue with uh, a queer community is getting erased or attacked in The Division 2. And I, I, I didn't really see this. I, I have only played like 10 hours mm -hmm. or so, but I believe it's in there. Uh, they, they had a piece of graffiti on like a building wall 
uh, with a cop eating like a pink frosted donut. And uh, on his badge was a leet speak, uh, kind of like, you know, text and letters version of uh, uh, the, the, the F slur. And uh, that it, it was written in leet speak because I, I imagine that it had kind of a history uh, in, in, you know, IRC chats or, or game chats or discords or whatever. But uh, they, they got called out on that and uh, pretty promptly took it down and, but that says something that like it made it made it through like an approval process, right? Um, that perhaps even larger developers mm-hmm. aren't uh, giving enough consideration to uh, uh, LGBT communities because they're still finding little ways to imply that like this is not a a acceptable state of being. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I think about this with both technology, but also games. Uh, you know, the games that we play and the the stories that we enjoy, they always have the values baked in of the people that create them. And when, you know, that's easy to say about a book and say, like, the author is the creator of the world. But with a game, it's more complicated, mm-hmm. right? Like, who creates a game? Like, Hideo Kojima, you know, we think of him as an auteur. Like, we think of him as someone that has masterminded everything about his game. But, uh, you know, there's a certain level that that's a bit of a narrative. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily going to be entirely true. And there's also a level in which other games don't even work that like that anyway. Um, my thinking as uh, 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 when I wrote that piece was it seemed very likely that an artist wanted to throw a reference to um, actually, let me bring up the article because I, it was a very specific mm-hmm. album that they referenced. This black flag. And, uh... um, yes. Police Story by Black Flag. It was a reference to Police Story from Black Flag, um, which was supposed to be like this anti-cop like um, uh, album, uh, basically like using the F slur with like a gun in a cop's mouth, kind of saying it's supposed to be like "fuck you, fuck the system," but it was implying that like the cop is like gay and there's something bad with that and there's something wrong with that, and that image was kind of playing back into the idea of like, oh, like this cop you know he's sent back to that punk imagery of like the 70s 80s and also he's eating a donut which is supposed to replace the gun but it looks even more homophobic because it's implying he's like basically it's implying he's eating ass like it very much looks like that (laughs) like let's not mince words here it looks like he's eating ass and it's just like it's it's such like you can't look at that and think like okay like it's you have a slur in there that's in leet speak. You have a reference to an album that like also uses that slur. And it's got a like an imagery that clearly plays into this idea of like, okay, like if you're doing sex that's not like penis and vagina sex, there's something wrong with you. And it, it reads like that. And I think that really goes to show, you know, like it um, you know, the person put that in, putting that in might not have ever intended that. Who knows? But you do kind of need to be able to read the room and see how others are going to perceive it, both in terms of how gay people are going to perceive it, but also how um, homophobes are going to perceive it and whether that's going to enable them to be, you know, shitty players online or it's going to make them feel like, oh, yeah, like the game does this. It enable it, it, it uses the F slur, so I can too. And it's a huge, huge problem that a lot of these these game developers don't always think about because that's not the climate in the room. The climate is... Uh, you know, let's keep politics out of games, which is, I mean, ridiculous for a game about Washington, D.C. to Being under siege by, like, several, like, fascist military groups. Yeah. 
<laughs> no politics in this game, buddy. Nope. nope. Uh, and you know, another, another part of all this that kind of fascinated me was there's this idea and maybe this, we don't have to spend too much time on this. Cause I think we've, we've covered a lot of it, but there's this idea. You, you wrote an article about a cosplayer, uh, uh, known as sneaky. And, um, mm-hmm. the, the, I think the first story you wrote about them was when I forget what character they were cosplaying, but, uh, to my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, please. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. cosplayer is a, uh, transgender person who, um, uh, identifies as male. Oh, good question. So sneaky, um, Sneaky identifies as male, but does yeah, a lot and, of and I you wrote this really interesting story about how uh, just internet commenters felt like felt like they had been tricked or something when Sneaky uh, did a sort of uh, cross play cosplay uh, dressing up as a a female identifying character really convincingly. Um, if you if you didn't know who you were looking at, uh, Sneaky is is really effective at kind of blending into a role like that and that uh has led to this really toxic idea that uh gaming community that the gaming or geek culture community has kind of been uh infiltrated by uh uh, lgbt community people and i don't i don't have to spell out for like anyone how that's just absurdly wrong it's not infiltration it's 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 a person you know existing in their own skin in the community how they want but uh, how how did how did how did you discover that and yeah. like what were your thoughts on that as you kind of began to uncover the piece you know that's a really interesting point because this actually goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about with slasher and dead mouse um you know i believe that like the gaming world and the esports world, I feel like there's a huge divide, and the gaming world is a little bit more progressive than esports, which is like kind of. I could see it. Mess. Yeah, um, it is just really, really bad. <laughs> it's it's so bad for women. I my friend Nicole Carpenter, I don't know how she does it. Like, She's awesome. bless her. She is like one of the best journalists. She's so cool. She's like one of the best journalists I know. <laughs> Nicole, if you're listening, I, I want to have you on the show uh, in the near future too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, she would be so great for this. Um, but uh, yeah, no. Um, anyway, so in Sneaky's case, I originally saw Sneaky when I was working at Dot Esports. I, I went from Daily Dot, took a full-time job at Dot Esports. Then uh, there's layoffs from the parent company Gamers, and I went back to Daily yeah. Dot um, because they're two separate companies. And um, so when I was at Dot Esports, like, a lot of people there, especially the women in Dot Esports, like, fell in love with Sneaky's crossplay. Because he is really, really, as you point out, he's really, really good at it. He's really convincingly doing, you know, what's sort of like, uh, you could theoretically call like a, a geeky cosplay light form of drag. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, 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 he's depicting himself as a female character, but he's doing it in a way that is not for laughs. He's doing it in a very um, fun, wholesome kind of presentable way. Uh, or, or not so much presentable, but uh, he's really putting so much effort into trying to capture the likeness of that character. And it's so fascinating to me because he's gotten better over time. And he's also starting to be more expressive um, with uh, the way he positions his body and the prosthetics he uses and stuff like that. You know, like he's not just putting on dresses. He's like putting in like boob forms mm-hmm. and like he's wearing these kind of like you know, kind of like not so much skimpy, but kind of like you know, they're little, uh, you know, like the little flirtatious, a little tight, a little short. Like he's kind of playing around with the idea of like how his body is supposed to be presented in this 
form of cosplay. And I think it's so cool and fascinating because I can tell, you can tell he's having a lot of fun with it and that he enjoys doing it. But you can also tell that it's kind of forcing people to question like, what does attraction to this female character mean? Like, like let's not mince words here. Like people are attracted to Sneaky because he does this, not in spite of it. He does have kind of a sex appeal going on. And I think that can be felt with both queer women, but also straight men too. You know, I think people are attracted to him. And I think people are attracted to him doing that. And I think that can be uncomfortable for a lot of people because it forces them in a, in a culture that is so, you know, cis and straight normative in gaming. It challenges them to really think like, what kind of bodies am I attracted to? What makes a body a body? How do I perceive bodies a specific way? And am I coming in with like an idea of what sex should be what attraction should be more specifically that that's not really accurate to how people live their lives and i think sneaky is such a great example and he's like just you know it's not like sneaky is uh this like flash in a pan like the only kind of thing that could ever question people this way there's a long legacy of crossplay and i think he's a really i think because he does such a good job he has so much good help to make those crossplays come out well um it's kind of like um pushing the overton window into like thinking about this yeah and that, that's a good way to put it um initially you know I, I i trying to see it from the the point of view of people who might have been like just angry about having been tricked uh it i i consider myself like a a straight man uh, a straight cis man, but I'm really comfortable with uh, displays of like physical affection with some of my best male friends. Like I hug them, I tell them I love them, uh, you know, touching them on the shoulder mm-hmm. kind of thing like that. Nothing that like, you know, goes, be- goes beyond yeah. like a, a clear boundary we've established. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I, I've never felt like terribly repressed in my own uh, sexuality, be it with my, my uh, partner or uh, with friends. And, it, it does seem like, for, at least from my point of view, it does seem like this is people who lived by one definition of sexuality, uh, perhaps a rigid one, um, uh, being uh, uh, having to kind of come to terms with the fact that like, oh, I was attracted to this person who was not uh, who I in my ignorance thought they were. Um, and that's not Sneaky's yeah. fault. That's not uh, it, the queer community's fault. Um, and it's certainly not like, a, I, if I'm using the term correctly, it's not a trap. Um, it's 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 just, like you said, it's moving an Overton window. Do Am I following well enough, I yeah. think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, too, like, the whole, like, kind of, quote-unquote, trap discourse is so fascinating because, um, like, there's so much to unpack about why this isn't, why this is an issue for so many people in the games. Um, and, you know, going back to this idea of, like, that I brought up earlier, like, there's a sort of, like, there's sort of, like, this cosmic humor and irony. Like, all these people are freaking out because they, they, they found someone doing drag yeah. attractive. Like, that's, <laughs> like, like you know, like, we live in a, like, it's okay. It's like, it's yeah. fine. It's There's nothing wrong with that. But I think in the gaming world, there's such this expectation, um, you know, gaming uh, is does have a very um, kind of cishet idea. It's very cisnormative. It's very heteronormative of how men should behave and how women should behave and like what it means to be a man. And that becomes very, um, that becomes very kind of regurgitated in the community and people kind of will echo and, and, and kind of like spout it out to each other. You know, it comes up in like microaggressions. It comes up in things like, 
uh, you know, like saying slurs in a game, you know, like, oh, like stop being such an mm -hmm. F slur, like go to the point or like in the major big ways, like people kind of losing it about sneaky. And, um, you know, I, I think it's fascinating because there's like also that whole trap dynamic too. Like trap is, is a word that, you know, it started on 4chan. It started as a word to describe um, characters that are, uh, you know, that identify as men, but dress up in, you know, feminine garb. And it became kind of conflated with, you know, both staying mm -hmm. that, but also word used in the way that people use the word tranny these days, um, you know, especially on like places like Pornhub. And so uh, there is also that anxiety about like being trapped by a trans woman also comes into like being trapped by someone that identifies as a cis man is wearing feminine garb, you know, to a lot of cis men, there's no difference between the two, even though there's an enormous level of difference. Like there's such a huge gap. Uh, they're two totally separate things, but uh, the same anxieties bubble up for them because it comes down to this idea of like challenging what bodies are supposed to be. And I think, um, yeah, I think uh, gaming struggles with that because it's not a space where people have traditionally felt like they can challenge, or at least some people feel like they can traditionally challenge their their beliefs on gender and sexuality and we've reached a point where like the expectation is you really should and i i think that that causes a lot of weird anxiety where people post memes with the fallout boy saying like what the fuck and it's like well i don't know you just find a cross player attractive yeah. to deal with it <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so we talk about like this, this evolution of the, of the way we look at uh, sexuality in games and certainly an evolution in a more uh, hardware sense has been uh, VR porn and, and, and pornographic games and the, the mass, the mass yes, proliferation <laughs> of that. Um, uh, obviously, it's, it's had its upswells on, on services like Pornhub and what have you. Um, but you, like you were mentioning earlier, you yourself bought a, a mixed reality uh, headset and uh, on the Daily Dot Dime, which I find just absolutely fascinating. Uh, <laughs> tell me, tell me what made you specifically want to get into the the VR uh, realm of that, and what what is it like? I mean, I I am a healthy young virile male. Every person, almost every person on earth, uh, I suppose, aside from like asexual folks, ha has consumed porn. We're all adults here. Uh, I, I am aware of it. I have watched some of it. But uh, what what is the stuff that we should be looking out for that's like kind of really trend setting? Oh, my God. It is so fascinating. I um. God, I, so it started with me. Um, you know, we started this podcast talking about my inspiration for writing about this stuff was Ludus Interruptus by Merit. And, um, uh, you know, I've always stuck with this idea of, like, what's what's changing and challenging how we think about sex in games? And this happens in a lot of different ways. It can happen in narrative uh, design. It can happen in specific game mechanics and game design. Uh, it can happen in, like, how a game is created for someone and who it's created for. But I think VR is so fascinating because it is the first time we have really seen a game that is not just, you know, like we talked about Samus as like relating to her as an embodied experience where the player interacts with her. Well, this is like totally different from that. That's not just you playing as a specific character. You are literally your movements, your head motions are dictating mm -hmm. what happens in a game. And I think that is, there's something about that that is so transformative for adult content. 
Um, and I don't think a lot of adult pr producers have realized that yet, what the, the power of this technology that they have in their hands. One of my favorite games that's a really good example of this is called Dominatrix Simulator. Um, and I love it for a lot of reasons. One of them is because the developers really know their shit. They're not playing around with like, oh, like it's so interesting, BDSM, haha, it's cool. Like they really know their shit. They really care about teaching like safe and sane and consensual kink play. Um, but what's really cool about the game is that it, um, it's called Dominatrix Simulator, but you don't play as Dominatrix. You play as the other side of that relationship, which is the submissive. The submissive, and, yeah. Yeah. So for those that listening that maybe haven't even read Fifty Shades, um, the dominant is basically the one that holds the, you know, BDSM is a consensual power exchange. Uh, there are ways to opt out of it. There are kind of like escape valves, which are safe words. Uh, there's a lot of kind of consent uh, through negotiation of power in BDSM, but ultimately it's one person agreeing to to uh, to surrender power so the other person can hold it and do things to them within the boundaries and the confines of what's agreed upon. Mm -hmm. So, and what happens in Dominatrix Simulator is um, it it forces you to play as the forces, quote unquote, you to play as the submissive. Um, and what you have to do is you have to do specific things that the dominatrix tells you to do. And this totally turns on its head a lot of things we assume about adult content. You know, adult games are usually built around the idea that the player is in charge of what happens to them and that they get to decide all the scenes they go through, all the romance routes, they can go through a walkthrough and figure out how to get that perfect sex scene where, like, they fuck the girl at the very end of the game, you get the best ending, like, yeah. awesome, good job. How, like, power you fantasy. did it. Yeah, so many, yeah. <laughs> the vast majority of games can be, like, distilled down to power fantasy. Exactly. You put enough friendship tokens and you got it, you fucked the girl you wanted to, nice job, and then you get a little steam achievement. Yay. Uh, <laughs> and everyone knows. <laughs> And everyone knows you fucked the girl. And um, Dominatrix Simulator basically says, yeah, fuck that. And instead, what it has you do is um, it, it has you wear a VR headset and uh, use your controllers, your motion controllers, which pick up your hand movements. And you have to do specific poses that the Dominatrix tells you to. And it also uses a choose-your-own-adventure-style branching narrative system where you can say non-yes for up and down or no left and right to different uh, Dominatrixes and stuff like that. Um, and I love it for a lot of reasons, because I think so much about BDSM is about the physical embodied experience of being in a space where someone has power over you. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard to do with adult content unless you can immerse someone through words, language, and images. But when it comes down to porn, um, where you are literally doing movements for another person, and you are immersed in that world where you forget that the world outside of you exists... That is another level of sexual experience that can lead to something called subspace, which is, um, you know, during the height of a really kind of solid BDSM experience, the submissive will literally, um, it's almost like they'll kind of reach this, like, almost like a higher state of being, but almost kind of like a lower state of being. It's like kind of like they kind of recede into themselves and kind of just become purely obedient. And they might not be able to communicate as much, but they've kind of reached the state of being that's almost like being just in tune with the other person and aware and kind of just present in the space in a way that really lets you lose yourself and kind of become one with the in other In a person. way where like, like it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, like we're partners who have a really good sense of communication and can read each other's body language during uh, intercourse or just any sort of sexual activity that uh, they know what their partner wants or what their boundaries are. Uh, am, am I following right? 
yeah like all this stuff is is communicated and it's consistently communicated throughout a session like even you know you know good safe and sensane kink play will still have communication when someone reaches subspace it just might not be as visual so for instance or as um uh it, it might not be uh through audio um through speaking to each other for instance, like uh, one really popular way of engaging whether someone is still uh, in tune with the scene they're in is like you'll squeeze their arm mm-hmm. like two times and like wait either wait for a response. And if they squeeze two times back, that means that's fine. Keep going. Or if they squeeze really hard back or don't squeeze at all after you like do another couple of like two quick squeezes, mm-hmm. like you stop the scene. And you can still do that when a person's in subspace because it's not like they're totally disassociated and blacked out. Like, they're still present. They're still there. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Like, they're very much there. It's just they've reached this state of being that's so pleasurable and so kind of in tune that they can't really communicate with you directly. They have to kind of almost function, like, through the lizard brain part of their body. <laughs> and, and it's funny you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned uh, like, Fifty Shades of Grey earlier as kind of the this common entry point for a lot of people who, who had perhaps never uh, uh, dived into uh, BDSM community stuff. The problem that a lot of people acknowledge with Fifty Shades was that uh, Christian Grey, the, the, the more dominant character of the duo, uh, there, there's lines and dialogue in the book and movies that they're they're talking about like what's vanilla sex and he's like uh, <laughs> vanilla sex is I'll only do what you're comfortable with implying <laughs> in, 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 implying that BDSM contains an element of doing anything uh, that you you don't want to happen to you um, and if you're in a healthy BDSM loving relationship uh, that that is horribly false you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And that's what's so important, too, to think about all this stuff is that it is, you know, everything that happens in these spaces happens with consent. And it's one of the reasons why I actually like Dominatrix Simulator a lot, because um, they're actually, I think they're developing or already have implemented a consent system where you can basically, like, throw out a safe word if it's getting too much. And of course, you can always just quit the game. Yeah. Like, you can literally just say, like, okay, I'm done. Like, that's happened to me when I've tested it. Like, I've, I've, been uh i've either tried it out and like because the windows mixed reality controllers are a little wonky it's just gotten too uncomfortable to play and i'll be like all right i think i'm done (laughs) or um or also too like you know maybe i'm just kind of feeling like this is going in a space i don't know if i'm ready to do tonight like let's 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 cool it which happens a lot in real life too um and it feels like the game is you know it was designed specifically to be an educational experience as well not just a sexual one like it's it's also teaching you how to do bdsm and what i love about the game is that it does literally give you the opportunity to do um to reach subspace in a way that because you're so immersed you are literally sensory deprived of other an other sense of awareness that there are things going on around you and you're so caught up in that moment if the game resonates with you. Um, I think it really goes to show what we can do with sex and games. And so much of the rest of the VR um, landscape right now is just like, here's a girl with like big titties, grab them. Yep. And like, it is like, it is, it's, I, I, there's this one story I love talking about whenever I talk about this beat. There's a game uh, developer that I, I subscribe to on Patreon to try some of his games because he, does the the vice versa of dominatrix simulator he has this one called villain simulator where you have like a like a bound up like woman in like a cat woman kind of outfit 
um in like a like a supervillain lab and like basically you just get to like be the dom in that situation but it kind of feels like those old like newgrounds flash games mm. like the doll ones where you just like play with someone and they make weird sounds and, like it was basically just built so like you could like like rub one out before you go to bed and <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh it it feels uh not just like that but it's not designed to be as immersive as dominatrix simulator you know dominatrix simulator has a very queer vibe you can literally play as a woman um and i know they're exploring additional gender options too um and whereas this game like like you'll take a, a, one time i, I like walked up to the woman and i took the controllers and used the grab button to grab her breasts to see what the physics were like and uh i slipped my hand and the breasts did not let go and keep jiggling it just stretched out oh. with my hand so i kept I kept pulling and kept pulling and it stretched out like a rubber oh my band. God. It just kept going and going and going. I was like, I think I've yeah. seen enough. And they let go of the grab button. And it just like slammed right back like a rubber it goes band. Goes back flying into the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I was just sitting there like, yep, that's the future of VR. You know, pull the titties out until they bounce right back. Like, uh, yeah. we, we know you've seen F-Cup, but have you seen, like, this fucked up shit? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's double Ds, and then there's this. There's You you ain't seen nothing yet what those boobs can do. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll wrap up here with, uh, have you, I assume, did you see about Subverse, the uh, kind of like Mass Effect inspired Kickstarter game? I, I, I wrote the story about it for Daily Done. I think you did interact uh, with it, but uh, yeah. for for those who don't know, Subverse, um, like I said, it, it's a, a porn game um, that they did a Kickstarter and earned something like $12 million. Uh, it was a fuck time, uh, yeah. Two, mil- two million on Kickstarter, excuse me. But it, that made it basically <laughs> one of the most successful games uh, promoted on the platform. And I wrote, that's a lot of alien sex. And uh, <laughs> it, think like one mixed dating simulator um, mixed with uh, uh, kind of turn-based tactics and some uh, RPG elements. It seems like it's going to be a, if not a good game, it's going to certainly be a fully featured game. Uh, but of course, the the promotional material and like all the Kickstarter stuff that they put out there has been very much like, yeah, no, this is a game where you have sex with like a, a four breasted uh, pirate alien or something like that. And um, <laughs> it was made by FOW Interactive, who uh, if you've ever trudged through the uh, more interesting corners of Pornhub, uh, you'll they're responsible for a lot of this CG porn that uh, gets put up on there. And uh, I, I'm curious, like, because we just discussed like th- this really interesting uh, uh, control dynamic in a game like Dominatrix Simulator, uh, what do you think? It, what do you think it says about um, like sex discourse and and sex in games that like this subverse game uh, made two million and is going to be certainly it's going to have a little bit more press coverage as time goes on. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. I have a very love-hate relationship with that game, and I think it's hard for me to convey that to some of my um, readers because I think they very much want me to choose one way or another, either this game is yeah. good or, more specifically, that's bad. And I I have a complex relationship with it because I think it is doing good and bad things. You know, Studio FOW, who's the parent company of FOW Interactive, um, <laughs> I feel like there's a reason why they chose the name FOW Interactive for developing this because their video content is like utterly horrific. It is just, um, 
they do a lot of um I actually so more specifically I wrote this for gamedaily.biz I I kind of dived into studio FOW a little bit oh, that's right I, I forgot about that yeah you did yeah uh oh my god it was uh and it was something you know i i had long known that studio fow had kind of a weird history and so i watched some of their things because like you know i have a strong stomach um i like basically like i grew up on 4chan like i've seen shit <laughs> and so um i went on their to go through their videos and watch them and like the stuff they have on there is just like awful mm-hmm. like um you know uh it's like there's a lot uh, of us yeah (laughs) there you go a lot of assault there's bestiality there's and this is uh you know like when people write like non-con but they're doing it in a way that's supposed to be kind of like for a queer audience and it has women in mind and understands that they might be reading it has a very different vibe to it it's more about the power exchange Mm -hmm. It's not, it, you know, there can be sadistic touches, but, uh, and this is a huge gray area, obviously, but it's more about like this idea of like someone controlling another person. And it goes back into this idea of like, you know, safe, sane consent kink. This, like, it feels very different. It feels like the brutality is the point and it feels very targeted. It feels very much like, like the emphasis is like, we are, we are like, being very violent look at what we made you you will be you you will have very intense feelings about what we made yeah (laughs) like it it, it's just so like gross and like it feels very much like it's delighting in this idea of like we are raping women because it's that's what their videos are and um you know obviously this is all cgi it's all through 3d video game character models and Subverse is not going to have that kind of content. They very explicitly said, like, we are focused on consensual sex. It was a design decision from the start. And I think that's great. But also, like, you know, the issue isn't so much just that. Like, that's an important part of the story. But also the fact that there's a certain kind of beliefs and values that go into a design premise. And I think you can see that the more you look at Subverse. They're not having a female player character and it was never designed from the start for a female player character, which is just yeah. utterly ridiculous. Like, like I, as a queer woman, was really excited about that game until I realized that like you, you can't play as a woman, which is like, there, there's so many reasons why that makes no sense in 2019. And, um, uh, you know, also you know, you don't necessarily have to have really blatantly misogynistic content for misogynistic beliefs to still seep into the game. So I think it's really impressive because it's a very kind of like open world, like we're really trying to make this a game, not just something to like look at at 11 p.m. at night. But um, it 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 still carries this kind of skeevy vibe to it that feels like it doesn't really care about women playing the game. And that sucks because women can and will give you money for adult games and lady killer and, a and also because like that. the space age sci-fi uh, ever ever since like star trek really defined a generation of science fiction uh it, it is weird to think of a sci-fi universe especially one like you know hi, like hyper advanced kind of universe not not like a post-apocalyptic but a hyper advanced like universe where women aren't part of such an equation right like you 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 see and read and hear mm-hmm. so many stories like so many fiction stories about uh universes where uh gender dynamics have been replaced by other kinds of gender dynamics or gender dy- dynamics have been removed and like uh, you know a, a more utopian society has been achieved um and of course there's, yeah. there's still just as much like uh 
uh, machismo sci-fi, you know, uh, John Carter saving the damsel in distress kind of stuff. But like, if you had to have picked between the two, like, wouldn't you have wanted the one that like would have made you just oodles more money, right? Yeah, exactly. I think a great example of this is, um, which I actually um, am writing about uh, for Fanbyte, um, Hard Coded, which is a trans uh, cyberpunk porn game that's like a dating sim visual novel. And the whole premise of the game is literally like you are a like robot trans woman, which is like cool, good start. And um, you run away from like your owners and you um, like live in this like queer trans community and you just like have a, like a, a lot of sex. Like it's just like literally the premise of the game is like there's something making everyone horny in the air. So everyone's having sex oh, wow. all the time. But the way the game's written, it's, it's like great. But the way the game's written, like it, it not just has encounters with men um, and you get to play as a woman and like it has a mixture of bodies. You know, there's cis women, there's trans women. So there's also a little bit of like a little bit for everyone in there um it's not just that though but the game is written in a way that makes everyone that you have sex with like sex is something that naturally happens through the dating route as opposed to an end goal and the characters are characters they're not just like big breasts that have some semblance of personality and so it's much more fun like it feels like a real world where you're having real sexual romantic relationships with other people and i think that that's what these developers don't understand is that like like hard-coded let me bring it up yeah please um uh let me uh and this is what really like this is what really shocks me the game has been development for about two years now and it's coming along quite well and uh, I actually, uh, I wanted, I pledged to it, I uh, $1 a month. It has over 2,400 patrons making over $5,000 nice. per month. That is, yeah. that is insane. That is a lot of money. <laughs> that for, is a lot that, of money. Yeah, for that kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> and I think that goes to show, like, you know, the assumption is, oh, only men watch porn. Only men will give their money. No. Like, people will give you money for porn because people are horny. And it doesn't matter we, what kind we of body you about, have. We were just talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. And, like, I worked at a library when that went down. <laughs> Yo, so I, have never, I have never seen more horny middle-aged women in my life. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, I'm just going to check out this book. No big deal. I'll be like, I don't care. You're the 90th person to take it. And they're like, <laughs> Do you, uh, oh my god do you uh here i'll give you a, like one last question before we kind of uh, wrap up here do you remember the game that uh our one of our editors uh ramon over at daily dot uh kind of sent out to us and said like hey do you guys think this is worth covering i i, I forget the exact name i think of something like masturbation simulator oh god let me bring it up actually because i remember that we were talking about it yeah. and i i remember i took one look at it and i was like um yeah, no. <laughs> I know. I, I felt the exact same way because I was like, for those who haven't seen, I don't think really anyone covered it. Um, yeah. we, we got we got sent like a PR email about it, I think. And uh, imagine Goat Simulator or one of those just like trashy, like totally broken, but that's the point kind of simulator games. Um, except you are, I think, like a naked man. Um, and you like you, you press one button to like very rapidly and like intensely jerk off with uh, uh, like very uh, explicit, you know, fapping sounds. And, yeah. And the idea like doing that gives you superpowers that like lets you basically just like smash people into the sides of buildings and like destroy the town and whatnot. And there's like a, a vague plot about like 
puritans wanting to like police the area uh but but like i got hung up on the fact that like in the trailer too they you are essentially like masturbating in the faces of like random townspeople which yeah by any definition is sexual assault and yeah and i'm like i i can see if i can see why if someone wrote about this like why they would because like it's very unique and novel uh but i don't think i want to write about it because i just don't want to give attention to something that like glorifies or like humorizes sexual assault because like that is a thing that people have been through that have that has traumatized people uh and i just don't know if it's like gonna be as funny as fucking goat simulator you know (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I actually dug it up right now. I won't say the names so we don't even give them press coverage. Okay. But um, <laughs> like, like the whole entire point of the game is like, yeah, like you have superpowers and everyone's mad at you. So you're just going to go run around town and masturbate. And like, it's basically like a Unity version of Postal 2. But instead of peeing on people, you jerk off in front of yeah. them. And like, I remember looking at this and I was like, like man even for a vr game this wouldn't be that interesting but like it's it's not even a vr game like all you're doing is run around and like the people there like i brought the press release like they compare quote the surreal sick setting of the simulator can evoke thoughts like the animated series south park unquote and i'm thinking like like south park's funny this this isn't funny this This is just something you threw together in unity (laughs) like 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 that episode overlogging where like stan's dad like loses internet access and like oh yeah yeah (laughs) finds the one last router and then like paints the room yes (laughs) (laughs) he's like like that's funny like that's funny like i remember like when i was a teenager looking on the internet and like there'd be these ads like big boobs click here and be that image of randy like covered in himself at the end of the episode (laughs) and i was like what the fuck (laughs) like that's funny that's good there's problems with that episode there's some like awful racist shit but like the idea of like him being too horny is funny but this isn't funny it's just jerking off in front of people it's funny i suppose i suppose my my ultimate question having brought that up is is what do you think is kind of our role as journalists in covering um be it sex games or sexuality in games and like what are the things that like we could be doing better um as a broader industry that still very much is grappling with uh our our um uh not not skeevishness uh our squeamishness about sexuality (laughs) in games that's a good question i think about this a lot because a lot of my beats also like push the envelope a little bit and like kind of force people to reckon with things that they're uncomfortable with um you know i think the most important thing first off is uh know your shit do your research read up on things talk to people that are experienced in the field before you cover anything related to it there are a lot of easy misconceptions that can come into your reporting if you don't do your research so be good journalist is always a good start i think the most important thing though is take it seriously don't Mm-hmm. don't act like the sexual adult content world is just this like weird little funny thing and that like sex is like inherently like gross and disgusting and everyone that's creating it is just like doing it with one hand like that's not how the adult content world works like sure there's a, a lot of motivation for creating adult games is the creator having getting sexual pleasure out of it but that doesn't always look at literal sexual gratification like um uh 
I'll probably mention this when we wrap things up, but I'm working on a twine that's almost out now. Uh, I've been working on it for five months Ooh. and is like an eight, it's an 8,000 word long kinetic story. That's like a queer trans erotica story. It's uh, looking at like a BDSM relationship with like a succubus and like a trans girl that unleashes her. And um, uh, it has illustrations and everything. It's gone through like so many drafts and revisions. It's like nearly set to go. I'm so excited. <laughs> and like, like when I sat down to write that, like, okay, like there's a part of me that was like, I'm going to write what I've always wanted to read. Like when I'm on like literatica or whatever, like, sure, fine. But there's also a part of me that's sitting down and thinking like, okay, I want this to look aesthetically pleasing. I need to program this efficiently. I want people to enjoy this. I want to be sensitive to people because the the, the story does feature a uh, a white passing um, trans woman of color. Um, so it went through sensitivity reads. Uh, me and my illustrator uh, worked through a lot of revising it, making sure it's sensitive. You know, also kind of pushing me to make sure as a white writer that I was doing the right things and and mm-hmm. and checking my whiteness at the door. Um, and you know. It, it wasn't like I created a game with just one hand in my pants, so to speak. Like there is a real sense of seriousness and passion and dedication. And also um, that happens in the adult games world too. You know, there are business decisions made, uh, business decisions. There is, you know, investments. There is uh, business drama. There's office politics. Like all this stuff might be about a base pleasure for sexual content, but it is still serious industry stuff. And so my advice for other journalists interested in covering this stuff is take it seriously because it is serious. You know, it's at the end of the day, people are buying this and when money's involved, you should take it seriously. Yeah, no, uh, we, as we've seen, you know, uh, a sex game can earn millions of dollars. And uh, when you get into reporting about that, it's no different than uh, if you, if you make a mistake, it's no different than making a mistake on like a financial report saying someone made millions less than they actually did, you know, and impacting someone's, uh, uh stock value or something or, or the people who work there yeah. or the kind of message and, and culture they're trying to create. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, Anna, thank you so much for doing this. This is absolutely the best version of this, uh, recording I could have asked for. Um, where <laughs> first, where can people, uh, find you and your work and to, uh, aside from the twine game, uh, is there anything else that you're excited that's coming up very soon for you? Oh, okay. So if you want to check out my work, um, over at the daily dot, um, you can check me out at Anna Valance there. The best way to keep in touch with me though, is through Twitter. I'm at AC Valance. Uh, if you come across the the uh, furry doe girl with plaid on, you've got the right <laughs> woman. <laughs> um, other than that, though, um, God, I I have some interesting stuff coming up uh, over at Dot. Keep an eye out. Um, I'm always working on something that's sure to get me uh, uh, a few couple new posts on Kiwi Farms. <laughs> and um, I have my Twine Blood Pack coming out, which is uh, we don't have a firm date yet but the illustrations are on their way and the programming's almost done. That's the BDSM game I talked about. And that's set for next month, June, uh, which might be this month by the time this goes live. So um, keep an eye out. It'll be on Itch.io. It'll have a website. And uh, if you want to keep track of the game's development, the Twitter at is blood pack twine. All nice. Anna, again, thank you so much. And folks, you can find the 1099 here on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, all your favorite services every Monday morning. And uh, this coming week, if you're listening to this as it comes out, I'm friggin' moving to LA. And uh, the week after that is going to be E3. So bear with me if shit gets crazy. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much, everyone. 